1: This episode is brought to you by The Weather Channel. The key to solving any mystery? Smart decisions based on the facts. In the case of the weather's effect on your well-being, turn to The Weather Channel app. It clues you in on how weather shapes your mood, health, and productivity, with insights built on reliable forecast data to help you thrive. Because mystery belongs in true crime, not weather. Be a force of nature with The Weather Channel app Due to the graphic nature of this cult's crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of material that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for listeners under 13.
2: Phony revelations, a bogus degree, plagiarized theories passed off as the original Word of God. The Way International, founded by Victor Paul Weirwill in 1942, was a ministry of smoke and mirrors, built to convince believers that Weirwill was the only man on earth who truly understood God's will.
1: The illusion was appealing to a generation looking for answers. At the height of his success, Weirwill claimed 40,000 followers, many of whom were young people willing to pay for his teachings with their money, their bodies, even their lives.
2: Hi, I'm Greg Polson,
1: And I'm Vanessa Richardson.
2: And this is Cults. Today, we're kicking off a two-part series on The Way International.
1: You can listen to previous episodes of Cults, as well as all of ParCast's other shows, wherever you listen to podcasts. A new episode comes out every Tuesday.
2: A lot of you have asked how you can help support the show. And if you enjoy the podcast, the best way to do that is to leave a five-star review.
1: You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram as at Parcast and on Twitter at Parcast Network.
2: The Way International began as an evangelical radio program called the Chimes Hour Youth Caravan in October 1947. The program's founder, Victor Paul Weirwill, wrote that its purpose was for the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ by radio or by personal appearance.
1: In 1953, Weirwill published an audio course called Power for Abundant Living, or PFAL. This $40 course, which was required learning for all way initiates, became the cornerstone of his movement and his financial success.
2: Over the next 30 years, through his courses and live appearances, Weirwill pushed his own interpretation of the Bible, presenting it as his personal revelation from God. Listeners eager to know God's truth were required to invest in Weirwill's courses and donate more than 10% of their incomes to The Way.
1: Like many cult leaders, Weirwill started off with what appeared to be genuine enthusiasm for God. But as his movement caught on in the late 1960s, he began to reveal his true motivations of sex, money, and control.
2: Following Weirwill's death in 1985, The Way fractured. The movement is still in existence, but it's only a shadow of its former self. Yet even today, despite numerous lawsuits and accounts of plagiarism, paranoia, and sexual abuse, thousands remain loyal to the teachings of the man they call doctor, the teacher, the man of God.
1: In part one of our two-part episode, We'll focus on Victor Paul Weirwill himself, his life, his psyche, and how historical circumstances helped transform this unknown, out-of-work Ohio preacher to an international spiritual leader.
2: In part two, we'll broaden our focus from Weirwill to the cult he founded, a ministry of religious instruction known as The Way International. We'll learn about several members of the cult and how Weirwill used brainwashing and propaganda to turn them into soldiers ready to obey his commands. For the natural man receiveth what? That's what the word says. The word is truth. It tells you it's the critic of the man. Victor Paul Weirwill was born on New Year's Eve in 1916 during one of the warmest, wettest Ohio winters on record. His parents, Ernst and Emma Weirwill, were farmers of German descent and owned a 147-acre farm outside of the village of New Knoxville, Ohio.
1: Weirwill was the youngest of six children, Lydia, 19, Otto, 16, Sevilla, 12, Harry, 9, and Reuben, 4. His brother Harry later said everyone was so busy in the household prior to Weirwill's birth that no one even noticed Emma Weirwill was pregnant until the baby, Victor Paul, arrived.
2: Harry also says VP was a sickly child. So frail, in fact, that they didn't wait the usual six weeks to have him baptized, but called the church pastor to their home to have him baptized right away. This indicates Weirwill may have been born prematurely and was not expected to survive.
1: Harry said he didn't see much of his youngest brother growing up because while Harry and the other children were out working, milking cows, feeding the horses and the sheep, and so on, Victor Paul spent most of his time alone in the woods. Maybe he was excused from chores because he was unwell, or maybe he was shirking responsibility. Either way, Harry made it clear that Weirwill didn't do much work around the farm.
2: Ironically, Weirwill later integrated the idea of the hard-working farm man into his personal image. His teaching often employed farm references and pithy metaphors that made him seem like a down-to-earth guy. For example, in his course, Power for Abundant Living, we will compare a tithe, that is a donation of at least one-tenth of one's annual earnings, to a seed, saying, quote, As the farmer prepares the ground before planting, the believer must prepare receptive ground for the tithe seed. Believing and love are the fertilizers for the fruitful harvest, end quote. Vanessa's going to take over with the psychology here. Please note that Vanessa is not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist, but she has done a lot of research for this show.
1: Thanks, Greg. According to New York Times journalist Fred Bratman in his article Cult of Personality, leaders who wish to appear infallible often create images of themselves designed to evoke adoration from their subjects. In Weirwill's case, his eventual subjects would be starry-eyed hippies who were looking for a more authentic way of life. So it's not surprising that although Weirwill did very little work on the farm, he adopted the industrious farm worker as his public persona.
2: In the early 20th century, it was traditional for the youngest son to take over the family farm, and that's what Weirwill's father expected him to do. But Weirwill refused saying he wanted to continue his studies. Odd, given that he'd never been more than a C student. According to Harry, when VP said he wanted to study for the ministry, their father responded, quote, you haven't even learned to work well on the farm. You'll never make a good preacher, end quote.
1: No doubt Harry told this anecdote to show how determined Weirwill was to pursue his calling. But it also draws attention to the fact that Weirwill wasn't the hardworking Ohioan he claimed to be. Diligence was simply part of his personal propaganda.
2: And he couldn't stand the pressure, so he left the field, went back home to Mama, so she could bottle him a while, I guess. Weirwald was raised in the Evangelical and Reformed Church, a German Protestant denomination that believes the Bible should be taken literally. For example, they teach that God created the universe in exactly six 24-hour days. They also teach that homosexuality is evil, that believers may only marry other believers, and that women may never question the authority of men, tenants Weirwill later adopted when he founded The Way.
1: Weirwill claimed to have been drawn to the ministry at an early age. When he was eight or nine years old, he said, a traveling minister visited the family church. The man asked Weirwill what he wanted to be when he grew up. Weirwill later claimed to have responded, quote, I want to be a man of God like you." Traveling ministers were common in the evangelical Christian traditions of that time, so it's possible this encounter really took place. It's also possible that Weirwill invented his response, or the entire encounter, to give the impression that the ministry was his lifelong calling.
2: Weirwill's brother Harry told another story that seemed to establish Weirwill as a born man of God. He said that although their father didn't support Weirwill becoming a minister, Weirwill used to practice preaching as a child by talking to the trees on the family
1: farm. This story gives us more insight than Harry probably intended. If young Weirwill had been truly inspired by God, he might have shared his revelations with family or friends. But as Harry tells it, Weirwill was practicing, performing a role before a silent and captive audience.
2: Despite Weirwill's claims of being a lifelong apostle, he wasn't exactly single-minded. He developed a passion and a talent for basketball, and won a scholarship to Ohio State University. His father nixed the idea of Ohio State, but he agreed to let Weirwill attend Mission House College, a combined academy, college, and seminary which the Weirwills helped support through church donations.
1: It sounds like Weirwill didn't want to preach God's word so much as he wanted to play basketball.
2: But well, the truth is, he didn't seem to know what he wanted. will wasn't pursuing a divine calling. He was just doing what a lot of other teenagers might do, making a deal to get out of having to do chores.
1: In the fall of 1934, Weirwell left the family farm in Ohio to attend Mission House College in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. He left behind not just his family, but also his hometown sweetheart, Dorothea Kipp. Weirwill and Dorothea, or Dotsie, as he affectionately called her, grew up together in New Knoxville, Ohio. Their families attended the same church, where, as children, they sat together every Sunday. Dotsie was a year ahead of Weirwill in school. By the time he left for Sheboygan, she was studying at Cincinnati Deaconess Nursing School to become a nurse.
2: At Dotsy's suggestion, Weirwill considered becoming a doctor his freshman year. Then he changed his mind and thought about becoming a lawyer. It wasn't until his junior year of college that Weirwill settled on going to seminary, yet his passion still appeared to be basketball. He played as an aggressive forward on the Mission House team. On June 2nd, 1937, Weirwill and Dotsie were married. But they kept the marriage a secret. While it's not clear why this was necessary, Weirwill later claimed it was so he could stay on the basketball team. In 1938, Weirwill received his Bachelor of Arts degree in theology. In 1940, he was accepted to Princeton Theological Seminary, where he pursued a Master of Theology degree, while Dotsie worked as a nurse. Thirty years later, Weirwill described this arrangement as a typical grad student situation. But it certainly wasn't typical in 1940 for a woman to work while her husband went to school.
1: Not only was Dotsie the functioning breadwinner in the early years of their marriage, she was also a mother, On August 11, 1940, the Weirwill's first child, Donald Ernst Weirwill, was born. And by late summer of 1941, Dotsie was pregnant with child number two. It must have been extremely difficult, not to mention exhausting, for Dotsie to continue supporting the family financially while also fulfilling her traditional role as a mother. Weirwill might have decided to be ordained after Princeton so that he could take a job to support his growing family.
2: But that's not the story he gave out to the public. According to the Way's official biography, quote, was invited to do his doctoral work at Oxford University in England, but he was eager to teach and serve as a pastor. Therefore, he postponed the work toward his doctorate, end quote.
1: Let's take a look at this for a moment. Weirwill graduated from Princeton in 1941. He told his followers he was invited to do doctoral work in England immediately afterward, but that would have been during the height of World War II. In 1941, the year Weirwill supposedly received an invitation to study at Oxford, the university was actually being made over into a government compound. So it seems unlikely that Oxford University was inviting anyone to study at that time.
2: Maybe the dates got mixed up. Or it could be the story was a flat-out lie. Either way, on June 29, 1941, Weirwill was ordained as a clergyman of the First Evangelical and Reformed Church. He accepted his first pastorate in Payne, Ohio immediately afterward.
1: It was a failure from the start. Weirwill saw his pastoral role like that of a coach hyping up a team before the big game, but his new congregation didn't want to play. He got discouraged by what he considered their superficiality and criticized them for a lack of faith.
2: By 1942, after just one year of service, Wirwell was ready to quit the ministry. But the summer of that year, he received a new inspiration from evangelist Rosalind Rinker.
1: A Christian missionary who spent the early war years in China Rosalind Rinker met Weirwill in Butler, Ohio, where he was visiting Higley Press, publisher of the Christian Action magazine, for which he claimed to be a contributing editor, though no articles ever appeared. Weirwill invited Rinker to visit his congregation in pain, and she agreed. Something she said during that visit struck Weirwill to his core. No more will I be wandering in the darkness.
2: Weirwill said, quote, Rinker used to dog me on the Bible being the word of God, end quote. He claimed never to have heard the Bible being called that before, and he took the concept very literally. He began to study the Bible word by word, interpreting its hidden meanings from whatever language he considered to be the most authentic.
1: The impact of Rinker's visit didn't stop there, however. Shortly after she left, Weirwill recounts that he was alone in his office, passionately praying, He told God that he was going to quit the ministry unless God gave him some, quote, answers he wouldn't have to back up on, end quote. He never said what questions exactly he wanted answers for, but given how frustrated he was with the ministry, he seems to have been demanding proof of God's existence, which he could take back to his blasé congregation.
2: What happened next changed the course of Werewolf's life. It would also become the story by which he would convince tens of thousands of people to give up their homes, their money, and their lives to
0: do his bidding.
1: We'll talk about Weirwill's life-changing event right after this break.
0: This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story.
2: Thank you tonight for this wonderful time of fellowship and the great integrity and accuracy of your word. That liveth and
1: abideth forever. Following a visit from evangelist Rosalind Rinker in the summer of 1942, 26-year-old Weirwill was done. Alone in his office, he informed God that if God didn't give him some answers, he was going to quit the ministry. Generally, when people pray, they don't expect an immediate response. But Weirwill claimed he got one, and not just a response, but a mission. He said, quote, That's when God spoke to me audibly, just like I'm talking to you now. He said he would teach me the word as it had not been known since the first century if I would teach it to others, end quote.
2: made a point of saying that God not only spoke to him, but that God spoke out loud, almost like saying he was hearing voices.
1: But this wasn't an admission of mental illness. Many stories in the Bible tell of God speaking to his chosen ones. Although the Evangelical and Reformed Church took these stories literally, they also contended that miracles and divine encounters were a thing of the past. By saying that God spoke to him audibly, Weirwill was making a clear break from his denomination's teaching. He was also claiming the status of a prophet.
2: Christianity is based on the teachings of Jesus of Nazareth a spiritual leader who is believed to have lived in the first century AD and, according to his teachings, was God himself speaking to the world.
1: So if God said he would teach Weirwill the word as it had not been known since the first century, he was essentially making Weirwill the next best thing to Jesus. Weirwill alone would learn the secret truths hidden in the Bible, and only he would have the authority to share them with the world.
2: That's quite a story. It seems even Weirwill himself didn't believe it at first. Years later, he began to tell another story to back up his own claim. The day after the office incident, Weirwill said he prayed a second time, asking God to give him a sign.
1: Weirwill said, quote, The sky was crystal blue and clear, not a cloud in sight. I said, If that was really you, and you meant what you said, give me a sign. Let me see it snow. My eyes were tightly shut as I prayed, and then I opened them. The sky was so white and thick with snow, I couldn't see the tanks at the filling station on the corner not 75 feet away." End quote.
2: This anecdote became known as the Snow Story, and it was the foundation of Weirwolf's claim to divine authority. Decades later, curious members of the Way attempted to verify the snow story by consulting historical weather reports for Payne, Ohio in 1942. No such snowstorm ever took place. So maybe Weirwill mixed up his dates, or maybe the snowstorm hit somewhere other than he remembered.
1: Maybe, but if so, this wasn't the only time. Dr. John P. Yiedis, who studied the Way International for more than two decades, pointed out that Weirwill invoked the image of a snowstorm throughout his ministry to imbue events with special significance. It seems the snow story was an example of what psychiatrist Robert J. Lifton has called mystical manipulation, quote, the claim of divine authority or spiritual advancement that allows the leader to reinterpret events as he or she wishes or make prophecies or pronouncements at will, all for the purpose of controlling group members. End quote. Weirwill used the image of a cosmic event, the snowstorm, to bolster his claim of divine authority.
2: Like other cult leaders we've discussed on the show, will didn't tell anyone he had a vision right away. You would think if a person experienced a miracle like this, he would tell people, especially when he's a preacher.
1: Instead, will started telling the story more than 10 years later as part of his audio course, Power for Abundant Living. Once again, he seems to have invented the story after the fact to create the image of himself as a man of God.
2: So let's recap. Although much of what we know about Weirwell's early years comes from stories he told later on, there's ample evidence that he reinterpreted events in his own favor. For example, when he turned down doctoral studies at Oxford because he couldn't wait to become a church pastor.
1: Former followers have noted that, when confronted with either an error or a lie, Weirwill would never recant or reconsider his position. Instead, he would just change his story.
2: Like when a follower showed Werewill proof that a snowstorm Werewill told them about had never taken place. Quote, He immediately began claiming the snow was an angelic apparition. Angels made him see snow that wasn't there. End quote.
1: Psychologists differentiate between purposeful lying and pathological lying, by which liars invent stories above and beyond what would be needed to achieve their goals. In Pathological Lying Revisited, psychologists Dyke, Baronowski, and Griffith wrote, quote, Lies have been written about and classified for centuries. However, it was a German physician, Dr. Delbruck, who first clearly described the concept of pathological lying after an extensive examination of lies told by five of his patients. He concluded that these lies were so abnormal and out of proportion that they deserved a special category, which he described as pseudologia fantastica, or pathological lying.
2: Was Weirwill a pathological liar? Based on behavioral patterns we've seen, he may well have been.
1: According to Dyke, Baronowski and Griffith, quote, pathological lying is falsification entirely disproportionate to any discernible end in view, may be extensive and very complicated, and may manifest over a period of years or even a lifetime, end quote. Case in point, the falsehoods Weirwill created at the beginning of his career didn't really get him anywhere until he began to amass a following 25 years later.
2: But in 1942, Weirwill was still a long way from cult leader status. On October 3, 1942, about two months after the snow story supposedly took place, Weirwill started a radio outreach program called Vesper Chimes. The broadcast aired over station WLOK in Lima, Ohio, on Saturday evenings for the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ.
1: Weirwill's radio ministry grew into a Sunday noon broadcast called The Chimes Hour. In 1947, he filed incorporation papers for The Chimes Hour Youth Caravan. But despite these developments, Weirwill's message didn't really catch on. In
2: 1947, Weirwill enrolled in a correspondence course for Pikes Peak Bible Seminary, an unaccredited institution in Manitou Springs, Colorado. For a man who had been educated at Princeton Theological Seminary, this must have felt like a bit of a come down.
1: If it was, Weirwill refused to admit it. Remember that story about how Oxford University had supposedly invited Weirwill to pursue a doctorate there in 1941? Well, according to the Way's official biography, by the time Weirwill got ready to go back to school in 1947, the offer was still on the table, but Weirwill decided not to take it. Opting for the correspondence course from Pikes Peak Bible Seminary instead.
2: The biography states quote, When Reverend Weirwill was ready to pursue his doctorate, he decided that studying at Oxford was not as important to him as studying under Dr. H. Ellis Leininger, a well known homiletician who was then president of Pikes Peak Bible Seminary. End quote. So, according to Weirwill, he chose Pikes Peak over Oxford because he thought he'd get a better education there.
1: This story is particularly unlikely because Pikes Peak Bible Seminary was not an accredited institution. According to the Colorado Commission on Higher Education, quote, Pikes Peak Seminary had no resident instruction, no published list of faculty, and no accreditation. The degrees have no status except with the institution that conferred them, end quote.
2: Weirwill probably didn't choose Pike's Peak for the quality of its instruction. More likely, it was the quickest, easiest way to get what he really wanted, the title of doctor.
1: By the end of 1947, the Weirwills had three children to provide for, and the soon-to-be Dr. Weirwill's ministry in Van Wert, Ohio, a congregation with an active membership of 21, left him feeling just as unfulfilled as he had in pain. Weirwill needed inspiration. He found it in J.E. Stiles, a Pentecostal minister with a flair for the Holy Spirit.
0: I think it's time that the people began to be filled afresh We're a...
1: Weirwill met Stiles at a Christian convention in Tulsa, Oklahoma, on December 12, 1951. He later claimed that he had planned on leaving the convention, but a snowstorm knocked out all transportation lines, and he had no choice but to remain in the city.
2: Climate records show there was no snowfall within hundreds of miles of Tulsa that day. By conjuring the image of a snowstorm, Weirwell was using mystical manipulation to give his meeting with J.E. Stiles an air of divine significance.
1: According to Finding Meaning in Psychology by Daniel C. Molden and Carol S. Dweck, what Weirwill was doing is actually extremely common, if an extreme example. He was assigning meaning and theme to his life as a way to structure it. Everyone does this to some extent, but given Weirwill's penchant for pathologically lying about past events, it can be assumed that Weirwill suffered from an extreme need to control his own story and the way people perceived him.
2: Styles taught Weirwill that true Christian believers were eligible to receive what he called the gift of the Holy Spirit. Arguments over what or who the Holy Spirit is have been raging for literally thousands of years. But for Stiles, the Holy Spirit was like God's energy force. By opening themselves up to receive the Holy Spirit, believers could learn to speak in tongues, that is, to speak in a language unintelligible to the speakers themselves, in direct communication with
1: God. The Evangelical and Reformed Church taught that speaking in tongues was a miracle that had only occurred during the first century A.D. Since Weirwill thought he had a mission to teach God's truth from the first century, it's understandable that he was excited about Stiles' ideas. But Weirwill didn't just absorb Stiles' teaching, he appropriated it.
2: Charlene Edge, who joined the Way in 1970 and was a member of the cult's inner circle for almost 17 years, noted that large portions of Weirwill's instructions on how to speak in tongues were copied from Stiles' work, almost word for word.
1: Plagiarism is a big deal, and with his academic background, Weirwill would definitely have known that. At the university, a plagiarized paper might just result in a student getting a good grade he didn't earn.
2: But in the increasingly profitable world of evangelical publishing, stealing someone's writing is stealing from their bank account. Weirwill would eventually make millions by passing off the ideas of Stiles and other evangelical preachers as his personal revelations from God. In
1: 1953, two years after his meeting with Stiles, Weirwill published an 18-hour audio cassette course called Power for Abundant Living, or PFAL. Weirwill began offering PFAL for sale through a nonprofit corporation called The Way Incorporated.
2: Public interest was minimal. Forced to keep a day job to support his still-growing family, Weirwill grew increasingly frustrated and anxious for a way
1: out. After taking his family on a mission trip to India in 1955 and 1956, Weirwill published a pamphlet called The Dilemma of Foreign Missions in India, in which he severely criticized the evangelical and reformed church, who had paid for his trip. Apparently, this didn't sit well with church leaders.
2: On August 7, 1957, Weirwill sent a letter to his denominational leaders, saying he wanted to devote himself to the way full-time, and was regretfully tendering his resignation. Nazis later account of the incident made it clear that the Evangelical and Reformed Church had requested this resignation.
1: Sounds like Weirwill bit the hand that was feeding him, In 1959, with five children and a wife to provide for, Weirwill was at the end of his rope. His brother Harry offered to remodel the family farmhouse so that Weirwill could run his ministry from their old home outside New Knoxville. Weirwill accepted the offer. Together with his family and 12 other followers Weirwill later said he could have had more but didn't want to take people away from his old congregation Weirwill moved back to the farm on February 2, 1961.
2: 17 years had passed since God supposedly promised to give Weirwill his message. Despite massive effort, Weirwill still couldn't get the attention he was looking for. He was 46 years old. He was being supported by his older brother.
1: To all outward appearances, Weirwill was finished, but history was about to intervene.
2: We'll look at how Weirwill went from down-and-out pastor to bona fide cult leader. After a quick break.
1: Now back to the story.
0: Good morning, Vietnam! We understand Governor and Mr. Connolly are in the car with President and Mrs. Kennedy. We can't see who has
1: been hit
0: if anybody's been hit, but apparently
1: something.
2: Civil is- rights protests. The Vietnam War. The summer of love. The nineteen sixties were a turbulent time for America, in which many Americans found their beliefs shaken to the core. This chaotic atmosphere gave rise to a Christian renaissance called the Jesus Movement.
1: The Jesus Movement was a call for revolution. Christians and non-Christians alike were finding that their traditional belief systems failed to provide answers in the modern age. They began looking for truth in unorthodox places. Specifically, these self-identified Jesus people were seeking a faith practice closer to that of Jesus' original apostles, the word of god as it had not been taught since the first century a.d
2: Weirwill's moment had finally come for over a decade Weirwill had been teaching his first century interpretation of the bible through his course power for abundant living or pfal
1: pfal taught that an accurate word-by-word interpretation of ancient biblical scriptures would reveal the bible's hidden truth allowing students to access the more abundant life promised by Jesus in the Gospel of John, chapter 10. Part of this more abundant life was receiving spiritual gifts from God, such as the ability to heal people and the ability to speak in tongues, abilities Weirwill claimed to have himself.
2: It also established Weirwill as the sole authority on which translation was most original. This gave him absolute control over his followers' spiritual enlightenment, making him the next best thing to God. In 1967, The Way's follower and outreach minister David Anderson produced a film version of PFAL. In 1968, Weirwill made several trips to San Francisco, determined to connect with leaders of the Jesus movement there, and introduce them to The Way through this video course.
1: As usual for Weirwill, success didn't come right away. The free-spirited, drug-using Jesus people saw the tie-wearing Dr. Weirwill as a square and laughed him out of their commune. But Weirwill didn't give up. In the summer of 1968, he finally convinced one of the leaders of the Jesus movement, edgy, charismatic radio DJ, Steve Hefner, to attend a summer course at the Way's new Knoxville headquarters.
2: Heefner and his wife, Sandy, only intended to spend a few weeks in Ohio but they ended up staying for the entire summer. They returned to their California commune raving about The Way and managed to convince another Jesus Movement leader, Jim Dupe, to join them for a PFAL-inspired Bible study at their own home. Within months of these early meetings, Jim Dupe officially founded The Way West. The Hiefners transferred to Rye, New York, where they founded The Way East. These two fellowships became fertile recruiting grounds for The Way, converting young people in their regions, who then spread werewolves' philosophies all over the world.
1: The ways following ballooned to over 1,000 people in the next two years. This was partly due to Hefner's and Dupes' charisma, but it was also due to PFAL, which turned out to be both a means of indoctrination and a brilliant marketing scheme.
2: I have nothing to sell. I have nothing to argue about. I don't want to take anybody away from anything that they like to hold on to. But I think you ought to give yourself the opportunity to listen to the research in the integrity and accuracy of God's word.
1: P.F.A.L. was a 36-hour audio course divided into three-hour segments, which students were instructed to view or listen to six nights a week for two weeks straight. There was no music or sound effects on the course, The recording simply featured Weirwill speaking to the students for hours on end. Former WAY members have described the experience of listening to it as hypnotic. Some compare the process to brainwashing.
2: PFAL indoctrinated students with three main ideas. One, that the Bible was the Word of God, which could be perfectly interpreted through an exact word-by-word translation. Two, that by believing in the Word of God, students could access a more abundant life. And three, that Dr. Weirwill had the education, training, and divine authority to interpret the Word of God for his followers. The way promoted PFAL as an opportunity to learn more about God, but in fact, it was a requirement for entry. Anyone who wanted to experience the Way's benefits such as its fellowship meetings and spiritual teaching had to take the course first.
1: Weirwill also instituted a required minimum number of students for each course. Even though the course was pre-recorded on audio and video cassettes and could therefore be taken by anyone at any time, Weirwill made a rule that at least 20 students had to sign up before the course could be made available
2: this turned out to be a stroke of marketing genius. In 1970, Charlene Edge wrote that the cost of taking the PFAL was $40, about $285 in today's money. To receive Wearwell's divine revelation, she not only had to scrape together $40 herself, but she also had to find 19 other students who were willing to pony up the
1: cash. So Charlene and other followers were trapped in what behavioral economists refer to as the sunk cost fallacy. The sunk cost fallacy describes a type of illogical behavior in which people who have invested in something that runs contrary to their interests, rather than admitting their mistake, will continue to invest further. For example, a person who pays $20 for a greasy, flavorless burger might eat the whole thing just because they overpaid for it.
2: In the case of Charlene and many other followers, it meant that after they had paid for the course and put their reputations on the line by convincing other people to sign up as well, they were much more likely to buy into Weirwill's teaching.
1: The ploy worked. From 1968 to 1974, the Way's membership grew exponentially, and so did its profit margin. Weirwill went from being broke with only 12 followers to boasting a following of 35,000 people worldwide and an annual income of over $26 million.
2: The organization kept pace with its burgeoning following. Weirwald brought trailers onto his property to house a biblical research center, a publishing company, and a flock of super-dedicated followers called The Way Corps. He started The Way Over the World, or WOW, Ambassador's Program, encouraging believers to devote a year of their lives preaching Way philosophies abroad. In 1971, the Way began hosting an annual music festival called Rock of Ages, designed to build enthusiasm and bring in new young members. For every one of them, the journey into the cult began with PFAL.
1: As the movement grew, so did evidence of Weirwill's dark side. He began to display a fixation with sex and sexuality, In all the 36 hours of PFAL, which, remember, was created back in 1953, Weirwill barely mentioned sex, confining himself to a single lesson on the origins of the soul, which he claimed came from men's sperm.
2: However, as the ways following grew, Weirwill began to offer additional classes, such as the Advanced PFAL and Christian Family and Sex, in which he displayed homophobia, a wish to confine women to the role of sexual servants, and a bizarre fixation on bestiality.
1: Although men and women were treated mostly equally at first, as followers continued their journey with the Way, Weirwill began to refer to female believers as men's helpmeets. He also preached that God didn't care what people did with their bodies, so long as their spirits were right with God
2: not only did this doctrine provide justification for male followers of the way to exploit their female associates but it gave weirwill as the infallible translator of god's word the divine authority to make women his sexual servants
1: in her memoir undertow my escape from the fundamentalism and cult control of the way international Charlene Edge relates a conversation with a fellow Way leader who told her that Weirwill had had sex with hundreds of women in the cult. According to her source, many of these women were actually recruited by other women to help take care of the man of God.
2: Kristen Skedgel was one of these recruits. Introduced to the Way by Stephen Heefner when she was 14 years old, Skedgel saw Weirwill as both a father figure and the man of God. She wrote Weirwill a passionate letter about how PFAL had changed her life and became a tireless recruiter for the Way East in Rye, New York.
1: Skedgel also suffered from severe undiagnosed depression. She struggled emotionally and often turned to Weirwill for help. One night after she had burst into tears in his office, Weirwill told Skedgel, quote, "'Just sell out, honey, sell out to the word "'and stop blowing hot and cold all the time. You won't have any peace until you totally commit yourself to God, end quote. Then, she says, he kissed her hard, raking his tongue across her lips.
2: Skedgal was confused by this incident, but she didn't interpret it as a sexual assault. Instead, she wrote, quote, Maybe he's trying to comfort me or wake me up. Ironically, his touch is the only relief I feel, end quote.
1: Soon after this encounter... Weirwill convinced Skedgel that her job as a woman, totally committed to God, was to have sex with him whenever he asked her to. For years, Skedgel obeyed.
2: Sadly, she wasn't the only one. Skedgel recalls an incident when, after having sex with Weirwill, he presented her with a palette of turquoise rings and told her to choose one. Noticing there were several rings missing from the palette, Skedgal realized she was just one of many who had been rewarded for her service.
1: As we've often discussed on this podcast, it's not unusual for male cult leaders to use their power to coerce others into having sex with them. But Weirwill also used his teaching to instill its members with fierce homophobia. Weirwill repeatedly used Bible verses to highlight how gays were, quote, depraved and damned.
2: In the Christian Family and Sex Course, which was administered to the faithful at the Way's new Knoxville headquarters, will locked students into a room and forced them to watch a video of two naked women kissing each other. According to Edge, who felt terribly confused as to why they were watching this video, will said, quote, You gotta see this stuff to heal homos like them, end quote.
1: A video of a gay encounter seems pretty benign by today's standards, but what happened next was anything but. According to multiple former followers, the next scene in the video showed the women having sex with a German shepherd.
2: Edge described the video and Werewolf's reaction to it in detail in her memoir. She wrote, quote, The women grabbed the dog and tugged him close. The poor animal struggled to escape, but the women forced the dog into having sex with them. Weirwill laughed and hollered, that mutt has more sense than those chicks, end quote.
1: As shocking as it may be to hear that Weirwill forced his followers to watch a video of women having sex with a dog, there was a recognizable method behind his madness. Bestiality, or sexual intercourse between humans and animals, is widely considered among psychologists to be a form of animal cruelty. Based on Edge's description, this is exactly what the video was intended to show. It wasn't a promotion of bestiality, it was a warning that homosexual behavior would lead to utter depravity.
2: Werewolf's video also served as a test of his followers' loyalty. He claimed that if anyone in the audience was offended by the video, it was because they weren't spiritual enough to handle ministering God's word to sick people. Charlene Edge noted that walking out on the video would constitute abandonment of the course, which would in turn lead to expulsion from the Way. She said despite their obvious discomfort, neither she nor any of the other followers left the room, proof that Weirwill had them fully under his control.
1: Despite the dark deeds that were taking place behind closed doors, the Way continued to grow. In 1974, the cult founded its own college in Emporia, Kansas. They founded a second college, the Way College of Biblical Research in Indiana in 1976. In 1978, the Way founded Lead Outdoor Academy International to train its members in survival skills that would serve them in the event of a societal collapse.
2: This survival training marked a downturn in Wearwell's mood as he moved beyond abuse of power into apocalyptic thinking. He was beginning to preach that America was at risk of being taken over by hostile communists. In the late 1970s, will instituted paramilitary and survival training, so that members of the Way could be prepared in the event of war.
1: Psychologists Festinger, Reichen, and Schachter have pointed out that doomsday predictions are often used by cult leaders to strengthen their hold over the membership. However, in Weirwill's case, there may have been something else at play. Former members of The Way often describe Weirwill as an alcoholic. He sometimes held top-secret meetings in the farmhouse basement, locking movement leaders in, while he raved drunkenly about anyone who dared to speak against him. If Weirwill's drinking was as intense as some ex-members claim, it's possible that his paranoia was a delusional disorder caused by excessive alcohol intake. Whatever the case, that paranoia would soon become Weirwill's undoing.
2: Next week on cults, we'll go deeper into the Way's inner circles. We'll meet various members of the cult and explore how Weirwill used propaganda and other indoctrination tactics to push them to commit increasingly horrifying acts.
1: By the early 1980s, Way officials estimated that over 100,000 people had taken PFAL worldwide. In 1984, the organization reported an income of $27 million, drawing in adherence by requiring them to invest first in PFAL, then in advanced courses, summer camp, the Way Corps, and so on, Weir will had provided himself with the more abundant life Jesus supposedly promised.
2: Yet he was also on the brink of disaster. Werewolf had spent a lifetime creating the illusion of a religious movement of which he was the hallowed leader. But within just a few years, The Way International was about to shatter.
1: Thanks again for tuning in to Cults. We'll be back next Tuesday with part two of our episode on The Way International.
2: Some of you have asked how you can help the show. If you enjoy cults, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. You can find cults and all of ParCast's other podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, CastBox, TuneIn, or on your favorite podcast directory.
1: You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram as at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time. Cults was created by Max Cutler and is a production of Cutler Media and is part of the Parcast network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Paul Mahler, Maggie Admire, and Carly Madden. Cults is written by Megan Dane and stars Greg Polson and Vanessa Richardson.